0: Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Now, here's hosts Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. Welcome to Season 18, Episode
1: 28, powered by Instat Hockey, offering our largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level at league.com. This is our 2023 U18 World Junior Championship preview. We're going to do players to watch over the next couple hours of a variety of different teams. And next week, we'll, as the tournament progresses, we'll talk about some more players from different countries as well. But right off the hop, Brad, let's talk about Team USA. And I want to get your thoughts right off the hop with Ryan Leonard. And thoughts on his season so far, because for the new US national development program, the U 18s is their championship. That's what they their whole season is funneled towards this event. So thoughts on what Ryan has done so far this season and what you what your you know, your overall impressions of him and then what he, you know, projects to be moving into the draft.
2: He's extremely polished that's the the big thing with ryan is when you compare him to some of the other members the programmer Compare him to other top prospects in the draft in general the thing that really stands out is just how polished and mature his game is already and right. so the from a scouting perspective we look at it from a, when we're looking to project him uh there's not there's not a whole lot of projection to do it is he's very well rounded he's a smart player he knows how to defend he knows how to drive possession to neutral zone uh and he can make plays Uh, If I was to say one area he has improved for me over the year is with just his finishing execution rates. At the start of the year, I remember I think I talked about it on 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 our show is that, uh, he had a lot of missed opportunities that were just point blank. You know, Will Smith and 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 Moore and the rest of that team would help set him up. You know, Pro, they they would get uh they would get the puck in good areas for him, and he just whiff on open nets essentially, right? So it was just all about him getting a little bit higher in his concentration, and that allowed him to gain his consistency. And I really thought that. Uh, at the Five Nations, U- U18 Five Nations in February, there I thought he was he was right there with uh, yeah. with Perot as the as the best program. I thought he was better uh, than Will Smith at that event. I was more consistent than Will Smith. Well, one thing that that's different about him, relative to Perot and Smith, is that Perot and Smith are more dynamic players. They're more offensively dynamic than than Leonard. Leonard plays a little more streamlined, but but what Leonard has is substance and allows him to play in a lineup in a way that Smith and pro don't project to be able to do.
1: I think he's just more adaptable to the pro game at the NHL level in terms of who he can play with and what type of line he's on and what the coaches ask him to do, but still be highly productive offensively.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's, he's that Swiss army knife player that, that can play the role that's needed in any given situation. You know, the, the big thing with this tournament is, is I want he can be a dynamic playmaker occasionally but it's it's again he's streamlined can he can he show a little bit more just a little bit more offensively in terms of how he flashes his talent I mean it, not that it matters to be honest with you I mean yeah. he, he's he's probably the safest bet right now to go top 15 out of, you know obviously will Smith is super dynamic and, and pro is phenomenal Oliver Moore has his fans um but in terms like I'd be very surprised this player was not a top 15 pick. Um, Yeah, at this point.
1: Yeah, and you know what? it's interesting is that I think sometimes he defers to the other two more often. So yes, he's more streamlined, but I think he, in terms of his more dynamic playmaking, I think he defers sometimes and just plays his game knowing what his role is within his line or within his like line mates, you know, if there's some movement in the lines. And that's where I really, that's what I really notice about his game. And that's not a bad thing. It's just that he's adaptable. And he's willing to morph into what the other two line mates need more than what he needs.
2: Yeah, he's a, he's a team team first player. He'll he will, as you said, he'll mold his game to what a line needs. And uh, you know, he's coming off again an exceptional UAT Five Nations event uh, from an international perspective. And all he needs to do is maintain the same consistency he has basically the entire season. And he's good to go.
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I don't think. He's going to get past 15 because of the reliability factor. What is, you know, when we try to project out, you know, uncertainty is problematic. It frightens people when, you know, like there's some missing pieces and you just don't know. And you get the more of those, not necessarily missing, but unknowns inside of like the attributes of the players. It makes you like push players down the list. But with Leonard, you just get, you, you you know, you know what you're going to get. And now, will it get better? Yes, of course, with time and a maturity and strength, and that will happen. But I, I just think he's – I agree with you. He's just a sh- almost a sure thing in terms of what you're going to get at him from that standpoint. Let's talk about uh, his teammate as well and Oliver Moore, who is obviously, as we discussed, far more dynamic in terms of an overall player. But what have you seen from you know the beginning of the season when you start at the – you know, you, uh, USHL fall classic, and then lead into this tournament, what you've seen through, you know, the five nations and then him, you know, maneuvering through this season, because I found him just to progressively get better and better. Um, yes, he's dynamic, but just better in terms of his puck management and understanding what he can and can't get away with. Cause sometimes, as you know, the junior habits creep in and, that that causes concern, especially when you're on an all-star team like you are with the U.S. national team.
2: Yeah, well, he started off looking really good out of the fall classic because of the amount of energy that he brings to the table with the skating base. Right. Yeah. When, when you look at the program, Leonard and uh, Moore skate better to me than uh, Smith and Pro. Um, not that Smith is a good skater. Pro is the weakest skater of the four top guns there in the program uh, but Moore is the one that really combines the skating base with the high intensity and that really gives him a very viable floor right when you look at leonard and Moore, it it's very unlikely that both don't play it's just that where do they play are they middle six is leonard a top six is more third line energy forward is there more there right um and, and that's with, with Oliver Moore's case, I found that he, he started the season very hot out of the gate and he's firing on all cylinders. And then I found that his game started to slip a little bit uh, just before the U18 Five Nations and then at the U18 Five Nations, where he had a bit of difficulty producing. Uh, I found that that was probably his worst performance internationally this season and just in general. Uh, this tournament matters more to him than it does to Leonard or Smith or Perot to me. And that's because Moore had the worst performance of the top four on the program out of the five nations. Um, The the concern with Moore, and it's been one that I know our staff has had issues with the entire year is, he he has a bit of the McLeod effect, the Brad Lambert effect, meaning the skating, sometimes it it doesn't allow, it, it forces him to think at a pace that he cannot maintain. So he'll explode down a wing, and he'll inadvertently run himself out of options. He won't choose the most efficient path, and that's because he's playing too busy. He wants to do too much. right? He's, he's, evolved, he's You want him involved, but he has to be smarter about how he's involved. That said, one thing that's very unique about this player, he's 5'10", but I argue him and Leonard are by far the most dynamic forwards in terms of understanding how to apply physical contact to get the puck back it out of board battles he understood this player you know we talk about reverse hitting on this right. program uh with pat malloy right uh and, and you know reverse hitting is extremely useful and it, that's because it, to, to quote pat he gives you time and space right it's all about time and space um, more despite being smaller projects to be the one who can drive play down low because he has very good innate instincts with his reverse hitting, with being able to get underneath frames, with understanding how to draw defensemen off the center line. Yeah, he understands leverage at a more advanced level at this stage of development, especially when you contrast him with a player like Smith. Will Smith is a dynamic and brilliant talent at times, but he does not understand yet how to apply his frame so that he doesn't have to rely all the time on his vision. And that's what what
1: happens when you lean on you know, certain skill sets all the time and you don't try that in that hmm. respect, you know, and maybe in, in Moore's case, you know, when you look at like previous seasons, other than this one, you look at when you're a smaller player, you either have no choice to learn that to play inside or you play perimeter. And it's the ones that are willing just to go in there. And that's where they experiment and figure it out and learn. And if the, hmm. if you're not willing to do that, you will, you will stay perimeter and you'll have dynamic plays, but it's not the same. It's, and that's another thing we talk about that willingness to go there, but not just this year. Did you do it prior? Cause it's all lessons learned. He didn't learn that this year. These are habits that have been established over, you know, multiple seasons. And so I'm glad you brought that up because that's something I, I try to look for is okay. He did this. He does this now. How far back did he do that? Is this something new or is this something established? Because that really changes on, you know, how effective they are in that area.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Based off my notes, he was doing it early. I remember specifically saying this player understands how to react dynamically to resistance. And when you're that small, that's what you need to see. You need to see players uh that maybe lack the height still have physical gifts that will allow them to translate more does have that the other thing that's really interesting about moore's game that i'm going to be looking for at this tournament is how often he shoots from sharp and severe angles he has he has a bit of daniel Sprong in him you know gay right. uh, um his brother jacob Pro. um uh, I always mix up which one's which, but the, the, the pro that was already drafted out of Sarnia by Anaheim in the first round. Right. They both, him and Sprong, are the two prospects uh, in the last couple of years. Um, obviously, Sprong's a bit back now, but they were the ones who always shot on severe angles. And it was it was to a fault, though. Uh, Moore also has a tendency to shoot a little low percentage when you don't want him to. I want to see if he can l- fine-tune that at this tournament. I want to see if he can if he can calibrate his play when he's at his top speed, a little better and if he can rely on high danger shots at a bit higher rate that can really go his long way uh, a long way for him when it comes to his uh, draft stock and if he rises or if he falls because right now out of the program more has been falling the most to my knowledge anyways and especially on our staff
1: we're going to take a short break on hockey prospect radio stay tuned we'll continue to talk about the u.s national De- development program in usa right after
3: these messages every play Every stat, every breakdown, on their own, they're essential, but altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash hpr to learn more.
0: You're listening to Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, often the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. We're discussing the UA Teams World Championships, little preview of the players to watch. We're continuing to chat about Team USA. Let's talk about Will Smith. Now, we did mention him, obviously, in the previous segment, because it seems that Leonard Moore and Smith and Perel are all kind of tied at the hip. They're the, really the top four forwards coming into this draft. So let's focus on Will Smith. Uh, I know he's going to Boston College next year. He, it'd be nice to see him gain a little bit of weight, some strength into that frame. You know, he's six one, mm-hmm. but he's not exactly the biggest kid. But I think there's enough room for him. Uh, to grow into that, I expect it'll be closer to like six foot, close to 200 pounds, right-handed shot. So in terms of his season thus far, I always like to start at the USHL Fall Classic and then sort of like touch base and midpoint again at, in November at the Five Nations and then, you know, get through Christmas time and then back again in February for the other Five Nations. And this pretty much kind of like puts the, you know, the cherry on top. Thoughts on his progression through those kind of events and in between.
2: Well, you know, the, the, the big thing with Will Smith is the first time you lay eyes on him in the program, you look at the whole program, you sweep the program. He's the most dynamic town, right? He's the one that has the probably the highest, you could make an argument um, that Perot is very close. I've seen, you know, publicly um, Smith seems to be a, a tier above, Perot, wherever you look in terms of how people think about their offensive right. ceilings. And that's because Smith's skating base is significantly ahead of Pro's. But yeah. if you look at their offensive skill set and the instincts they have, Pro is right there. Pro is an incredibly smart, creative, dynamic player. Right, He's, he's had a heck of a season. Two. But that's, that's so, the other
1: factor that, you know, Pat and you and I talk a lot a bit about is, um, you know, a second saved is a second earned. And with that skating mm-hmm. base maybe that provides him that half a second or second to make those plays. Once the talent pool compresses, not just at the university college level, obviously when he goes to Boston college, but also as that progresses to the potentially the American league into the NHL, as he continues to develop, because once he gains some more power onto that frame, that should enhance, you know, that separation in a skating base.
2: Well, you know, I, I've, um, I've contrasted this player with Andre Kuzmenko, Pro, not Smith, but Pro with Andre Kuzmenko. Yeah. And he. Does, I really think the projection will be very similar where Kuzmenko can't drive through the neutral zone. He's not a possession driver through the neutral zone. Smith right. does project to be one, right? And right. that's where the skating The other is the center to wing position. Pro is not going to be a center. Yeah. He does not have a skating base to Additional value,
1: to right, in the middle of the ice.
2: Additional value, right? So additional. Now, I bring that up because there is potential – for a Jack Roslovic st- type of situation, meaning has the has the offensive weapons necessary to be a projected top six center, but then does not have the defensive ability that allows him to maintain being a center long term. Well, that's the question. That's, that's- where S- it struggled, and that's where I want to see growth at the five nations. I thought he took a step back, and he was way too reliant on power play. You want, you want a prospect to always dominate even strength at the junior level? Right. If they're too reliant, now don't get me wrong. Of course, Smith has had some phenomenal games where he's dominated even strength in the USHL and internationally this season. But more recently, I found that he's been uh, uh, way too inconsistent. When you look at Perot relative to Smith, I think Smith is actually the more inconsistent player offensively right now. So I want to see consistency offensively, but I also really want to see him – show a different level of instinct that I shouldn't say a different level of instinct. That's very unlikely to be generated by the time that we hit the, the U eighteen five nations, but I, I want to see him have a different level of commitment. I think it'd be the best word choice because every, everybody will say to you, you know, Oh, okay. He's a raw center, but you can help him get better defensively if you give him time. Well, well you're still waiting. The reason I bring up Jack Roselvick as a stylistic comparison isn't because offensively they're similar. It's because they might have the exact same issue down the road if we don't see some adjustments, and that's that's because he, there's not a lot of commitment to detail to to the first cor- uh, third of his rank. Right? How much? So uh, it, how much
1: of by the end of this end of the season, how much of that is based on him running out of gas physically,
2: right? I don't. Like, I don't think he's run out of gas. Honestly, what? I don't. He. He's. You he, know. I, I. think. You know. What? It's funny. I. I mean, Shane. I mean, we're, we're. older, so like it's hard for us to get out of bed sometimes. Let alone try to like put on skates and get to a rink. But you got to remember. I. I still. Uh, I'm just young enough to remember that at 17, 18. I mean, you. You have a lot in the tank. You can do the back to backs. Yeah. You know. You can do right. So I, I. don't. I think. I don't think it's a result of the gas tank. I think it's more a result of not recognizing how significant that aspect of the game is. Yet. Right. And that's, and that's, as a scout, you say, okay, that's okay. That's fine. But
1: he better learn it at BC.
2: He better, there's no Leo Carlson style two way center that looks like it's projected right now. Right. That's the type of conversation that I know scouts are having. Right. Is can Will Smith? functionally get to where he is not just a zero-sum player as a result of the lack of commitment defensively and the lack of understanding significant instincts at the position, at center position. There is a, more to that story. I, I think we're probably out of time for it. But the other part is he does not have developed hard skill elements that we touched on here that Moore presents and that Leonard presents. Yeah. Right. He, he is a phenomenal handler, phenomenal vision, incredibly deceptive. He knows how to buy time and space with deception. Very, very good instinct. But when it comes to understanding how to how to use his frame correctly, the only thing he's capable of doing so far is when he's entering the, entering, uh, the offensive zone after generating a rush, he'll be able to cut through the hands, lean and exaggerate his posture into a new defenseman, specifically to create a range play on the opposite side of that player. But if you take that out, when he's coming out of the corners, when he's board battling, when he's trying to – what we talked about with more reverse hitting, when it comes to using leverage advantages, he is in his infancy. He's in his infancy.
1: Well, let's touch on Gabe Perot, because we got about four minutes left in the segment. Um, Thoughts on him as well, because he's a unique player in terms of his skill set. And I'm just, when you're trying to project, or I'm trying to project, I'm looking at, it's really about how much better is the skating going to be for him to create time and space and take away time and space for himself? That's my Mm -hmm. question.
2: it's a great question. One thing I'll touch on, I'll switch right into pro for you. But one thing you asked me, I never got to answer with the with Smith, and that's because I was going on another rant. Was that where where has he shown some, uh, uh, development curve in terms of his defensive ability? One area that he hasn't proved. Is, is the Pavel Datsuk style pickpocketing. He right. has been able to strip players from behind. He is more attentive at, at getting underneath players and stick lifting successfully and timing it better. That's one area. Now, with Perot, one area that I feel that he's improved significantly is just the, the skating power. I thought it was very unfunctional at the start of the year. That's not unexpected. I mean, you know, he's younger. Of course. You, you give a kid five months. I mean, at that age, you're just physically naturally developing. So he's going to gain a bit of additional power and he needs it because when you're talking about skating efficiency, you're talking about a mechanical base of his skating. He's behind. He is, he is by far the worst skater out of the top end. You know, Smith, Leonard, pro he's the one i i I think that's universal i don't think i don't think if if we put 10 nhl scouts in a room right now i don't think one of them would disagree with that statement yeah right so um so what does he need to do uh to to make sure that that's not a big a big issue well it it comes down to to his skill set incredibly deceptive player it's very difficult to recognize what type of play he's going to try to generate because he has so many options there's a huge array of of offensive ability that he possesses, and that gives him a lot of versatility when it comes to setting up his plays. The other aspect with Perot that I really like is that he's not afraid. He's not afraid to get into the dirty areas. And the reason I bring up the stylistic comparison to Andre Kuzmenko, as often as I do and I'll be writing about in the Black Book, is that uh, his sense of timing is second to none. And that's what you need. If you can't skate that well, make sure you know when you need to skate in that, that space. That
1: reminds yeah. me of Tofoli in his draft here. In that respect, exactly,
2: very similar. Yeah. Yes, Mark, yeah, very Mark similar. Mark Stone, Mark Stone, Tyler Tofoli, Andre Kuzmenko. These 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 players can't skate that well, but they don't need to in order to be effective offensively. Yeah. Now, there is there is a backfire though. That's when you look at Andre Kuzmenko. Yeah, he put up 39 goals. Well, guess what? He he definitely cost some goals too, and that's because he gets drowned out in the pace of play and transition coming back. That's where Gabe Perot has some of that dysfunction. He, he's going to have to start anticipating off the puck in the neutral zone, a little higher rates. That's one thing I'll be looking for at the U18 tournament here is, is uh, how he does in terms of off the puck management when it's not in the offensive zone because offensive instincts are brilliant, but the defensive instincts aren't at that same level yet. So just, I just want to see where he is, but I, I think he's, um, I'll be honest. I, I very rarely say this, uh, I think he's actually underrated and he's on the program. So and that's, that's, that's right. not very common. That's not very common, but he, you know, I think, I think he, uh, there's a lot of talk about Leonard and Smith uh, and more, and you don't hear his name mentioned as often. And I think that's maybe because of the skating base, but he really is. He's a brilliant player. There's a lot to like with a uh, pros game.
1: Certainly. And for me, like we had said before, we mentioned with Pat, it's really about once he understands how to skate the game effectively for him, everything else makes up for it and, and then some, and he could be a really highly effective player. So I'm really looking forward to watching, you know, gay pro in this specifically. And I mentioned it to Mick actually um, last week about Pro in that respect as well. So we're gonna take a quick break on hockey prospect radio. We'll be back
3: right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown on their own, they're essential, but all together they're undeniable.
0: Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio.
5: Here's Shane
0: Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We are back and powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide. This is our 2023 U18 World Championship preview show. Just going over some of the players to watch. We're going to move over to Team Canada. And Brad, right off the hop, I want to talk about Colby Barlow and what really intrigues me with him is we talk about the power forward style and then the different styles inside of the power forward style in which ones end up becoming more effective as players. So if you go back historically, even through the last 15 to 20 years, I find, you know, I find Barlow really interesting is because the power forwards that tend to be primary shooters have the most difficulty Adjusting to the NHL, where the ones that are more primary playmakers doesn't mean they don't score a goal. That doesn't mean they don't score goals, just that they tend to set up plays more often, tend to end up having longer careers or better careers in the NHL. So this is why I want to talk to you about Colby Barlow. Now, as a his stylistically, I like really like his game. Do I think he's going to develop into an NHL player? Lots of tools there. Like There's lots of things about his game that are going to translate through. And a large large part of it is what I think is between his ears. His mental and emotional attributes um, will make up for any other deficiency that I think he has in the skills department, hockey sense department, skating department. I think just, just in terms of his understanding and his willingness will make the difference for me. Thoughts on him?
2: Yeah, it's a great place to start. And with developing power forwards, typically – in a draft season, they're very inconsistent. You get peaks and valleys. Matthew Nyes was that. Yeah. First two months of the season didn't look like he was going to be a player. He didn't. And but well, we kept watching, kept watching, and then he, he hit that switch halfway through. And then when we the stars started to align for him, he was amazing. But down the stretch, right? Um, and that happens. Quinton Musty. Is a very yes. good example of a prospect where on any given week he can look extremely impressive, and you're like, okay, this could be a top twenty player in this draft. Then you watch another two games, and you go, I don't know what the heck this kid is anymore. <laughs> that's just the way. That's just the way it usually goes for power forwards because they have, as as most of you very intelligent listeners know, it, it's just that position that player type takes a lot longer to develop. Very rarely do you get like the Miko Rantanens of the world where there's a reason they're projected to go top 10 in the draft because they look yeah, ridiculously the, polished at that position. And the Jack they brothers are the same. Position. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. So the big thing with Colby Barlow is just what you stated. The mental consistency for him at this age with the style he plays is unbelievably rare. Unbelievably rare. Now, there's drawback. When the, the drawbacks the skating base. Yeah. This is the beauty of having a bigger frame and knowing how to use it and be willing to use it and consistently using it. And that's sometimes, okay, if you got a 6'3 defenseman on you who knows how to skate and he's going to barrel down on you, well, you, as long as you know how to hold to that frame, you're going to be okay. And that brings me to my next point because this is very similar to what happened with Mason Tavich. Right? And that's somebody Pat Malloy has worked with. Is yeah. somebody we've talked about in depth. Uh, and I think that Mason McTavish is a brilliant example of what happens with development curve when it goes correctly. You know, he looked like a slower winger who was more of a shoot first player in his minus one season. Then you get him playing over in Switzerland in the NLB, um, which is equivalent to the AHL over in Switzerland. And he looked he looked like he was really developing. The skating was coming. He looked like more of a natural dual threat. Then you look into the U18s, what happened? He looked like a natural center, yes. and I went power center. We're taking it all day, right? And so, now, don't get wrong. I don't think Colby Barlow is a center. Like Mason McTavish is going to develop into one, but he doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be. What he does have to do is something you 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 did touch on, and that's if with a power forward, you typically prefer them being actually a power playmaker to being a shoot first player because it allows right. him to to adapt quicker. Matthew it gives Boldy, exactly. Matthew, Matthew Boldy, Quinton Musty who we just yeah. talked about, also yeah. pa- pass first. Um, I know some people might disagree with that and say, well, it's a shoot first. I don't think so. I think he's much better playmaker and projects to be um, a better playmaker long term. Um, but yes, Matt, Matt Boldy is another excellent example, of a dual threat and national dual threat power forward. Uh, Matthew Nyes can really pass a puck, so that's another. So what, uh, when you look at it, you know a shoot first power forward that's just developed in the NHL that Colby Barlow actually has some similarities to um, is Elmer Soderblom. They're not wrong. They don't have the same frame. Nobody has Elmer's frame. What no. I mean by that is Elmer is a player that projects to be a very dangerous uh, shooter from stationary positions, using his wheelhouse from the right circle uh, on the power play, getting set up for high-danger lateral one-timers. That's one of Colby Barlow's specialties. When you look at his goals and you break down his goals, that's automatic. That's something he has right now. Right? Something Soderblom is developing. Something Barlow already has. Um, the other aspect is that. Soderbloom, the reason I bring up Soderbloom, it's not because of the frame, it's not any of that. It's the instincts. Soderbloom instinctively looked to drive and shoot more often than finding his teammates. I found that Barlow has improved as the season has progressed. I think Barlow has become a much more adapted playmaker. He's not hes not going to be you know, a Trevor Zegers or a Jack Hughes out on the ice. He's not, a, he's not a gifted playmaker, but he's good enough where it should hold. And that's all he needs because the rest is already there.
1: Let's talk about Caleb Ritchie. Um, really interested. I wanted to two different like power style players together and, and discuss them going into the U 18s in that respect, because I look at Richie and I go, okay, there's some things I, I really like about his game. But then when I'm projecting floor and ceiling, you know, and it you know, obviously this isn't done yet because still we have the U 18s to finish up and then we're done for, for this player. But I really see a guy who does he project any higher than a, a three, a three C and based on the evidence I've collected so far, my answer is no. But that doesn't mean he can't be a really highly effective three C. And we've seen in the NHL playoffs how critically important those players are, especially if you can play a power game and you can wear out another opposition center.
2: He's the exact opposite of who the player we were just talked about. So Colby Barlow was all mental. Fortitude right now, consistent, uh, way beyond his years in terms of being able to play the position correctly. You get the most out of him most nights. In Richie's case, you have a much better toolkit. So the skating base is better. He projects to be an actual center. He can drive through the neutral zone. His possession rates per six are going to be higher uh, because of his skating base. His entry rates per six are going to be higher as a result of the skating base, and he projects to be a better defensive player because he can keep up with the pace and, and create uh, transitional breakdowns to the opposing team. He can get stops. So he has that in spades. The problem with Richie is that every time you watch him, you keep thinking that he can be so much more than he already is. And that's both enticing and frightening. And that's the balancing act as a scout, try to figure out exactly what to make of that long-term. Yep. And you have the development coaches that you trust, they can then draw that out. When you, when you get him in the interview process, is he giving you what you want to hear? Or is he giving you the answers that you know mean that the kid's emotionally integrated, that he could be a lot more than he actually is, right? And that's, that's, the thing with Richie is he scored, I think it was 25 goals as a 16-year-old O. right? And yeah. That gets people excited when you when you package sure. that into a 6'3 natural skater. That's exactly what you want to see on paper, right? Um he's a very unique player. I've come away some games thinking, wow, he, there's so much more to work with. But then other games uh, maybe he never puts it together, right? He's a he's one of those wild cards. That this, this he's he kind of sums up where I find this draft is as a whole, when you look at that 15 to 35 range, whereas there's a lot of, there's a lot of interesting prospects, but there's also quite a bit of uncertainty that the floors start to break a bit, right? Mm-hmm. They start to, they start to break. And so with Richie to contrast him with Barlow at this event, I don't think it, I don't think it matters for Barlow, to be honest with you. This event's yeah. not going to be much for when it comes to Richie, if Richie can put on a show and really show something, that might really help his cause. It, it might be if he can come out at this event and show a little more than he has this season, that could go a long way for him.
1: A large part of it, I think, is just to solidify, you know, what you're looking for. And it's really hard. To, it's a really hard to ask for 17, year old kids is self awareness, because it. I, I think it's it's almost. Re- um, not ridiculous, but hard to ask that out of a player. Now, some players are more advanced in that in that respect. And, you know, we talked about that in, in Barlow. And so for me, it's just about if he can recognize what he needs to work on. If he, like he's self-evident. I'm like, yes, okay. If we have a conversation with him or he has a conversation with the NHL scouts or in an interview, you know, and they question him, he's not going to be defensive about it. And he's like, okay, I see that. I could no nope, and these are the things I need to work on and do you have the staff to help me get there that's what I'd be interested if he has that type of answer Bob we don't know
2: really what he could be is is one of those rare players where he really just becomes a better pro than he is a junior player right it is possible yes where the, the it matures correctly is right development staff that that is a possibility and, and that and he fits the pro game his, better because he yes, he, does. In, he, does. he play, He's it, a mature he play,
1: if he plays in a structure, right?
2: Exactly. He's a structure player already. He can, he can play like he, when he's on his game, he absolutely looks like at least a bona fide third line center, at least that. And that will he show more than that at this event? That's the question.
1: Yeah, no, and to me, it's really about, okay, offensive upside because it's if you put him in the NHL and he's a second line center, can he produce on the road? against first pairing and second pairing D because that's who he's going to face. So can he do that? And what players do you have to put around him based on his playing style and what type of wingers does he require? So those are all questions. And if you don't have them in your organization, that doesn't really matter because five years or seven years from now, your whole roster can be completely different. So I don't think that's terribly relevant as well. So very intriguing to watch both these players Brad and I are going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect Radio. When we come back, we'll continue to talk about Team Canada at the
3: U18s right after these messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse huddle instats advanced tagging and next level stat reports help you develop your team and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film visit huddle.com backslash hpr to learn more
0: prospect news and analysis this is hockey prospect radio with shane Malloy and brad allen
1: we are back in powered by instat hockey this is our 2023 u18 world championship preview just players to watch we're continuing to talk about team canada let's talk about some defensemen for canada And first off the hop is Cameron Allen. Now, when I watch him play, and when I watch him play actually the last two seasons with Guelph, the thing that jumps out to me, regardless of what season it is, whether it is is draft minus one or this draft season, it's been the same theme that has come back to me. And I'm not sure if that's going to change at the U18s or not, and I don't think it really matters, is he's the little girl with the curl. When he's good, he's very, very good. And then when he's not, you're like, should he be a forward? Like, it's just, he's so wildly inconsistent. And then once again, we shouldn't be surprised by that because, you know, young players are inconsistent and they should be inconsistent. They're consistently inconsistent from that respect. So, you know, he may be one of those defensemen that when you draft, you have to put down in your notes and tell your general manager and your development staff, this is a five-year player. If he's going to play for us, it's going to take five years. He's got two more years of junior and he's probably going to be at least two, two years in the American League and then maybe a half season and then we know what we got. Your yeah, thoughts it's, it's on, your on theme, him. Yeah,
2: It's a common theme of this draft with defensemen. That's why yeah. there's so few that are, that are ranked in the top 32 on most lists you'll see publicly and I'm sure a lot of lists you'll see privately. It's just you know, it's it's one of those. We won't see privately, but I, if I was a betting man, I, I bet you there's not many defensemen in the top 32 on most lists. Um, you, you know, Cam Allen. Sometimes prospects get to be put in very fortunate positions where it does not reveal their weaknesses. Right. Uh, Zach Focali, I think, was an extremely good example of this as a junior goalie, where you know people pretty high on on Zach, and but he was on an elite All-Star caliber team. It matters. I bring that up because Cam Allen is in the exact opposite position. Yeah. He is in, he's on a very poor team in golf that really highlights his deficiencies. The problem is the scouts. (laughs) We're already looking for them. So when we see them a whole lot, it can, it can leave a sour taste in our mouth. Well, that creates a bias
1: in terms of like not, not appreciating the environment, the players in, then how much do you weight the environment based on his production and his habits? You know, because it's almost like he's constantly chasing because there's chaos. He's just basically he's swimming in chaos in shark infested waters. And then do you blame the player or do you blame the environment? And how much do you weight that on the player and on the environment?
2: Well, so this is where things get very difficult is you can only as a scout, you can only really rely on his on ice performance without really knowing mentally how defeated he is based off of the performance of his team and where he is at. Right. right. And that's where, so he's already a type of player where the interview was going to be that much more significant just because of the type of season he's had relative to what he had last season. Right. Right. He was on track. A lot of, you know, we weren't as bullish on, on him and hockey prospect as, as some of the consensus seem to be, but we still have a lot of time for him coming in the season. Certainly. But I, I mean, early early on i remember you know mark ever said to me is like he's not looking anything like the projection was expected right and that's that is held throughout basically this entire year that said really good prospects can sometimes have bad years yeah it happens i think edward sala has had a bad year I know some people would laugh at that and think that's absurd, but I really do. I think El has been downright poor in most performances. I didn't like him in the U20s. Did not I thought he was terrible through 185 Nations. I think even his hat trick that he scored in an Extra Liga. I went watched that. I thought he was okay. I not I just don't think he's been very good this season. But that doesn't mean there isn't more there. It just might mean he's having a bit of a down year. The same applies uh in this situation. So what I'm looking for at Allen the U eighteens is this is his opportunity to be alleviated from the circumstances that he's in. This is an environmental switch. This is a huge and very important tournament for him. What out of any prospect we've discussed so far, I, I I would think that Cam Allen, this is the most significant tournament out of any of these players. Is it a breath of fresh air? Is it a breath of fresh air for, hair, him, for him He's gonna get more he's gonna get new teammates, he's gonna get new pairing, he's gonna get an opportunity to really showcase what he what he what, we, what some people projected he could be potentially based off of when he was 16. Uh, and so, you know, there's an opportunity, I think, maybe stylistically if I was to compare him, I, I would give him the comp of Jordan Spence. I think there's a bit of Jordan Spence in him. Um, not, know, Jordan Spence has developed at an incredibly good rate. Like that, yes. the LA Kings, That's right now that's LA's back half defense with Diamond in the rough, right?
0: 100%. Spence, Spence
2: was one of those players where a lot of people said, eh, he's going to be a good junior player. Right, a lot of good junior elements. I saw him play a lot, junior. so yeah, yeah, yeah. And it turned out that he he really looks like he's going to hold, based off of what he did last season. He's certainly doing well in the A this year. So can 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 Allen develop into something similar to that? Well, I think the U18s is is the beginning of that question. Because I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes you got to write off the, the circumstance of players. in. you know, I, I remember Lucas Raymond did not look like the player I had envisioned when he was playing for London at that SHL level because he was too physically weak. He was he just wasn't ready. Uh, yeah. He still was incredible offensive instincts, but he physically was way too, just completely overmatched. Right. And, yep. it, and it showed yep. and then what, look what happened his first year in the yep. NHL. Yep. Right? Yeah. Right. And then it's, and that's, that's the question with Alan, how much of there is that now I'm not saying he's not a top five talent like Raymond was right. But that doesn't mean, That at his position, he there isn't still a lot more there that we really haven't seen, just a result of the circumstance. So yeah, Yeah. for Allen, this is it. This is a huge, huge start for him.
1: Four minutes left before we take off at the end of the hour. One, uh, let's talk about uh, Lucas Dregasivich. Thoughts on? Oh, I should know it. I know his dad. Um, Kills me. Look, clearly, offensively talented. No debating that. Um what really is just about the inconsistency as well and where you put him in terms of your lists and how much better is this skating going to get? Because all the other tools are there. So he's another guy who I think is going to be one of those five year players is by the time he gets through four years at Tri-City Gets a couple years under his belt in the American League. It's that fifth year that you're really going to know. So you got to be patient with that. And I'm not sure where he's going to fall in the draft because of that.
2: He is he is one of the wild cards of this draft. I yeah. have absolutely no idea where this kid's getting drafted. <laughs> like, I honestly, I, I couldn't tell you. I really couldn't tell you. I wouldn't I, be I shocked if he goes you. like I, say he goes 32. Wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely not at Anything all. is possible. I mean, yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, his season from a production perspective. I know it sounds like a little bit of a weird contrast, but bear with me. Uh, he's a little similar to who we just talked about in Richie, uh, but in the opposite in the opposite way. So, with Richie, when you watch him, you go, I really think he should be producing more. I really think that there's more there. With Dragusevich, yeah. it's listen, the kid's good, but wow, this production's crazy for what I'm saying. 75 points in
0: 68 games? I should hope just, so. Uh, unbelievable yeah.
2: production. So it, when you look at what he is relative to his production, it's honestly a little alarming. And I, I've mentioned that on this program before. Uh, and and that's because when – so he's a converted forward, which I believe we mentioned before. So the K. Yeah. Miller situation, is converted yeah. forward. Uh, Brent Burns, K. Andrew Miller. Um, so what, what you're looking for with him is that you know that there's going to be a lag – Within his growth rate, in terms of defensive instincts and just understanding right. the natural uh, position,
1: that's right? why I think there's going to be a longer run for him. He, he's going to need a lo- yeah, longer. Yes.
2: He needs more time, no question. You also mentioned the skating base. Um, uh, so one of the reasons I can't I can't wait to see him live here with the U18s is because he's the one I really want to see what his skating looks like. Right, is skating way easier to scout skating live. There's an opportunity for me just to see how, what I think of it. Because to be honest, I'm one of the. I am one of the. I'm in the the pool of detractors that thinks it might be, I don't, I think he's in a position where when you put him up against very agile top six forwards, he's in a world of trouble. That's where I'm currently at. This U18s for me and for him will be the, to see if he can handle some of these elite talents on other, in other countries uh, off the rush. Can he, because again, in that front no, in some but, of his instincts, but if, behind, he, but if, but if he, told, can he hold the rush,
1: can he, if, if he can't do it at this tournament, that doesn't necessarily project him not to be able to do it in the future. He just uh, lets so, you know. That just lets you know where he is now. It just
2: lets you know where he is now. It just yeah. means the projections that much further. It means you. You when you're in a scouting meeting, it means well, how many years before you think he plays? Well, you you bump it another five. Year. That's what it means. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, For four or five years, right? Yeah. So. Uh, the talent's there offensively to a degree, but yeah, I, I really want to just see how he holds defensively here at this event. Can he can he match the pace of play with where his skating currently is? Um, it's going to be very interesting. Um, that said, there's a whole lot to like about this kid. Yeah, it's very rare yeah. for a converted forward who's 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 playing at the at the level he is in uh, in the WHL and producing at the. In a tough division.
1: division.
2: That, in uh, a tough US, division. That
1: U.S. division is not easy. Yeah.
2: No, it's not. There was there was a lot there was a lot of decent teams there. So it's it's uh he's a very perplexing prospect in general. And uh I think this U 18s I'll be honest, I don't think he's probably gonna give us answers, but I'm I'm looking very forward to seeing him anyways. I want to see where the skating base is. I want to see if he holds and when the pace of play goes up.
1: Well, I think he's just an interesting prospect overall because that's the type of player that if you have a really strong developmental system, you take him. Because there's so much there, right? There's so much there. And that's what I find find them really intriguing. We're going to take a short break on Hockey Prospect
3: Radio. Stay tuned for Hour 2, and we will be back right after these important messages. Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat
0: Welcome to Hockey Prospect Radio, your voice for prospect news and analysis on SiriusXM, NHL Network Radio. Now, here's your hosts, Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We are back for hour two brought to you by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to another level at Junior Prospect Hockey League.com. We're continuing with our U18 World Junior Championship preview show just giving every all the listeners out there some players to watch throughout the tournament. Let's talk about some defensemen for Sweden. And first off is Tom Willander. I'm intrigued to get your thoughts on him. And I know we talked about him on our show and we've talked about him privately, but I want to really get your thoughts of him through Rogla's system and how he's projecting towards the U18s and what you're looking for from him in this event in terms of, just tying a bow on his profile because this is going to be the end for him.
2: So, yeah, he's played, he's played a lot internationally and he has played on smaller ice surfaces and that's not the case here, but uh, it's one of those situations where in Rogla, um, he has a lot of opportunity to, to work with time and space that's just not afforded to him internationally.
5: Right. That's
2: why some of his performances I found internationally to be much more mixed. Uh, he There's a lot to like, right? The toolkit's there. He can handle the puck really well. He can make unique exits as a result of that. But he can be too fancy. He can be inefficient. At times, he's the opposite, I guess, of what you'd, you'd project to be Theo Lindstein, who we'll talk uh, next week about, which is that, Linstein has a very pro-style, mature type of playmaking game where with Willander, he's much more of a hybrid puck carrier where he's, he's not always just the, the fast exit when he needs to be. Yeah. So at this event, when when he's getting bared down under pressure, when the forecheck's coming down on him hard – I want to see a little bit more of a clean, mature efficiency that hasn't been always there. There's been flashes of it, but it hasn't come out to play at the rate that I think it needs to. So that, that's the big thing with Willander for me. Um, it, what's really interesting about, about Willander too is that uh, I feel like uh, he's pretty polarizing. I know, some, I know some people have him very high, and I know some people are like, eh, he's okay. So it, it should be interesting to, to well, see him here and see if he can I have w- a dominant.
1: I wonder how much of that is the uncertainty of his experimentation in Rogola in that respect where he's allowed to do a bunch of things and try some stuff and it doesn't always work out and it's not as structured as you would like, but that's where you're supposed to experiment. So I think that's also incumbent upon us who, who are evaluating players to recognize the environment and what's going on and then how that player is reacting within that environment and does he have enough self awareness and hockey sense and other skills so that when he is put into a stru- more of a structured system, that he's not good, he will be able to adapt and not be so much as a, in terms of a freelancer in that respect.
2: Yeah. Well, one thing that's interesting about about him is he didn't get into many opportunities to play up in the SHL like Lindstein. Right. Technically, Usually, that's a result. Like you look at Otto Stenberg, for instance. You mm-hmm. look at David Edstrom. You look at Theo Lindstein. Uh, You look at um, uh, uh, the Dane there that I actually like. I can't remember. Uh, Oscar fischer Right. When you look at those players, the reason that they go from J20 to the SHL and tend to have more viewings there is because of the maturity, because the pro-style game is there, because they do not have to – you don't have to babysit them. They're reliable already, right? Out of the gate, they they already have some reliable elements to them. The reason I think Willander lag behind them in terms of SHL views uh, is because – it's just behind. Now that said, I'll be honest with you. I I, I was in Stockholm last week. Uh, I talked to, uh, I've, I've colleagues, former colleagues, friends who who work in Sweden. I don't know Robo's situation this, this year uh, as well as I normally would. So I don't know if there was something in back, on the back end that was preventing him from getting more call-ups, if there's something else behind the scenes there, but just from like what I've seen in J20 and what, what I've seen internationally, it, it speaks to me that he just, He's just not at the level necessary where he understands the significance of efficiency. Sometimes defensemen want to do too much at this age. Simon Evanson would be a good example of this. right? Sure. Simon Evanson has the toolkit, the hands, everything. But uh, Evanson was an inefficient player in his draft season, right? And I feel like Willander has a bit of that from that perspective. But he's also very exciting in the sense that when you look at him relative to Lindstein, relative – to Axel Sanapelica, I believe he's the one who's the most well-rounded. He's the one who can still absorb a rush, can can box out net front, can play physical if he has to. He keeps a very high pace of play. And that's one thing I really like about him relative to Lindstein and even Pelica, you could throw in that he, he to play a higher pace than Pelica. Um, but that also means that sometimes he's playing at a pace that's a bit too high because I think it's compenser it's a compensation mechanism right. because he doesn't always read the defensive play at the rate he needs to. So that's another I bring that up because it's another right. aspect of the U 18s. Right. I want to see. I want to see if he's gonna just if can he get in sync? Can he can he calibrate his defense, his defending relative. To the offense coming at him, instead right. of trying to be too busy, right? right. So th- these are some of the aspects of Tom that need to need to be reined in. But then there is a lot to like, so it should be a very interesting tournament for him.
1: Let's talk about Axel sending Pelica in that respect, because obviously we got to see him in a lot of international tournaments this year, um, you know, playing with yeah, he got a lot of time up in the SHL. So that gives us a nice contrast between the J20 and the SHL in terms of, okay, where is he in terms of his structured play and how does he play against men and bigger, stronger, faster, um, you know, different pace from that respect, but then he gets back with his peers again. You know, we got a chance to see him play at the at the World Junior Championships as well. So, thoughts on sort of like the totality of his season thus far? Because we saw some really, really highs, and then we saw him against in certain situations where you are "Okay, you recognize he still requires maturity in his game."
2: Yeah, and you see it. See it you saw it internationally in through twenties. You saw it with five nations. One thing with you know the conditioning is not at the level it needs to be yet for being a smaller defenseman, and that's fine, and and that's fine. And, um, but what isn't fine is bothering me, it's happened to <laughs> multiple tournaments, is that uh, he has a tendency to, when, when you're tired and when, as a scout, when you're watching a tired player, the one thing you want to do is see them huck in gas and still try to fight through a play, still get to the finish line on a play that's required to make sure that your team is not in a bad spot. In my view, this year, I found this player to be too stationary when the gas tank runs thin. So at this event, that's one thing I'm going to be focusing in on because it's the beautiful thing about the U18s is the pace,
5: right? It's the end of
2: the year. It's fast. Every player knows the scouts are in attendance. Every player. Every agent is making sure every player remembers that too. So it's one of those situations where everybody's playing flat out, and that means that pace is very high. Does Pelica? Short circuit? Does he just sit back? Does he become too stationary when his gas tank runs thin? Does he does he basically run out of that what I like to call that secondary battery that some players have? You know, does he have that? I don't know if he has that. That's right. the one thing that's really bothering me with him at this stage because everything else is so so intriguing, such a dynamic offensive talent in some ways. You know, and I say dynamic. He's not kel McCarr. He's not Quinn Hughes. He's not Rasmus Dahlin. But, but I think he's further along than Eric Branstrom was offensively at the same age. Let's say Eric Branstrom is offensive down. So, you know, it's, the offense is already there. The neutral zone playmaking, the, the exits that we're talking about, the right. lander Lacks, Alec already has, right? He already yeah. has that. He's, he's a mature player. It's just the defense because when you're a smaller, shorter defenseman, you got to bring it. Is he going to bring it at the right necessary? That's what I want to see.
1: Yeah. No, and that's, for me, it's, it's a secondary effort because, unfortunately you don't have that wingspan or that size to compensate and lean on when you're running out of gas, right? You can take away some time and space and you can lean on guys, hatch a little bit of a break, but you can't do that with him. So he has to maintain, even if he's running out of gas, like, okay, how do I gap up properly? How do I conserve some energy? How do I gap up? How do I take away some time and space in terms of my angle? Can I get on a player's hands? right? Like there are going to be some key things that he has to checklist. He has to instantly go through his mind to help compensate for that situation in that respect, because when you're tired as a smaller player and you don't have, you don't have that, that push left, you better understand leverage too. So you got to get underneath armpits. You got to get on knees. You got to get on hips. So those are the things I'm interested in seeing too, is you brought up a really interesting point regarding that. So, I'm not sure in terms of what he what's he going to bring. I mean, look, I think everybody, regardless, like if you played a long season, you've said it. This tournament always has tons of pace, tons of pace. So you're going to be forced by your peer group and your competition to just go, you know, your ass is on fire. We'll see how he handles that. You know, yeah, from absolutely.
2: The- that's, that's that's everything. You know, I he reminds me. This is a loose comparison, but. Joel Nyström, seventh round pick out of Carolina. Mm, yeah, They're very similarly sized. Uh, I watched Joel a lot. I really, we really liked him. We really liked him. I love, I love the player. I thought Carolina had an excellent pick at seventh round there. Joel Nyström is a 5'9 defenseman who keeps the pace necessary and actually holds in transition. It's one of the reasons he was drafted. Right. right. That's what I'm sure that's what Carolina saw. Is this kid is already holding the SHL now? Remember, he was an overager when he was drafted. Right. So it's very yeah. different with Axel Sand, and where this is his initial draft season. But if Pelican can, can show some of Nystrom at this event, I think it helps really solidify where he is. Because you give him, you got to give him leeway at the SHL level because he's just physically overmatched. right? And the J20, it's a J20 can be all over the place. So structurally, yeah. everything else. So th- this is a real opportunity, I think, to really understand where Pelican is in terms of where his, his development lies defensively down the line. Well, just in terms of just
1: give you a clearer picture of what you have to work with and then how long long you're going to project that moving forward. Is it going to be two years, three years, four years? Gives you a better understanding of that. Brad and I are going to take a quick break. We'll come back and talk about the U18s right after this.
3: Every play, every stat, every breakdown. On their own, they're essential. But all together, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat
0: you're listening to hockey prospect radio on sirius xm nhl network radio here's shane Malloy and brad allen
1: it's hockey prospect radio powered by junior prospect hockey league western canada's newest developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level this is our u18 world junior championship preview show just picking out a few players to watch as the the tournament starts off. We're going to chat about some Finnish players right off the hop. Let's talk about Casper Holtenen. Thoughts on him? Big, monstrous kid at seventeen. He's six foot three. He's well over two hundred pounds. Right-handed shot. When we're looking at players with this type of, as a physical specimen, and we've talked about him before in the past on our show thoughts on what you think he's going to bring into this tournament he um is the team captain for finland so there's some extra pressure put upon him which i'm serious i'm curious to see how he handles that on top of that top of that of you know playing in front of all these scouts but overall his progression through um, ifk and liga and then in the m league as well and then you know throughout leading up to this tournament
2: I feel like he's had one of the best curves this season, out of any player. I really do. He yeah. he started really, really slow. You know, he's uh, he was playing in Yogurt System at sixteen. He had real skating deficiencies, but also a ton of talent. Natural shooter, really good shot quality. Uh, the shot quality is not so dissimilar to Line's. I'm not saying they're the same player. I'm not saying that he's a me Patrick Line, 2.0. He's gonna score forty goals. But when it comes to mechanic, the mechanical base, when it comes to the danger that he projects to have on a power play, there is some similarities there. Right. Um, that gets you – as a scout at 16, you see that and you're like, okay, this is a real, this is a real player we're going to have to monitor. Um, that said, coming into the season, I really think that they accelerated his development incorrectly by putting him in Liga. Too, too, it was too early. Too much he, too soon. He did not have – too much too soon. Just too much too soon. Couldn't keep up. Um, had some real difficulty with the skating base, which was not unexpected. Um, and he was all over the map with his energy. You know, at the Holinka, I remember talking to a, my, my colleague, Jerome Berube. He felt that there was, there was no pace to him. There's no second effort. There's no energy to him. It's just, it just soft skill. There's not enough hard skill for a kid with that type of frame. You fast forward, you see him in Liga, and then you really start seeing him uh, try to accelerate that hard skill aspect and start physically trying to take over games. But he was such a disadvantage because just because you're are six, three, 200 pounds doesn't mean that you have man strength yet, right? It takes time to develop. Um, so it's one of those situations where uh, he was overmatched in every, in every area. He can't skate very well. He's physically overpowered and, and his confidence was, I feel, wavering based off of that. Um, and also the amount of puck t- touches per 60 you get in a game So much lower than you get for almost any junior players, it was very difficult to really project what was happening. That said, you flash forward, he got an opportunity to go back down. He played in the J in uh in U20 Saria, then he played internationally. I really thought that he started, he showed he was showing better at U20 Saria, then he took that momentum. Brought it to the Five Nations. I thought he looked much better at the Five Nations. That was the first time I felt the season you start seeing a player that you could actually really mold into a significant power forward. And he does have the description, though. Unlike Colby Barlow, where you think there's enough there playmaking-wise, and unlike Quentin Musty, where you really see a a primary playmaker that's a power forward, this specific player is a shoot-first power forward. And I don't think that's changing. There's just when it comes to his playmaking, there's too many inconsistencies with his with his passing trajectory, and that includes short area playmaking, and that also includes low uh, low technical passes. Meaning, you know, he's not he's very rarely going to make a layered, multiple layered saucer pass and time it correctly. But he also has trouble with just just the basic consistency of his playmaking, right? So what that means is most of his primary assists and most of his playmaking is actually off of rebound generation because yeah. he has such significant shot quality and he has the frame and the potential to create havoc down low. So it's going to be all about that chaos meter going higher so that he can actually help basically magnetize and draw in defense off of his shooting off of his frame so that they they can uh, clean up his dirty work essentially, right? So that, that that's how how holton operates that's what we saw more of and then what happened was he brought that to the mestis playoffs and he was very very good in some of those games he's starting to figure out what he can be and that's what you want to see as a scout at this stage of his development he doesn't have to be a finished product we talked about that in depth yeah. don't don't need to be what you need to show as a player is that you're starting to understand what you can do to take over games with your frame and skill set that's what he's doing so at the u18s what do i want to see more of that let's see more of what he showed in Mestis. let's see more of what he showed at the five nations let's see it more consistently and if he can really do wonders for himself show a little bit better playmaking rates than we thought he had right and so that's that's it that's what that's what he can really do with this event
1: he's a guy that you know we talked about the time frame for development he's a he's a four five year I don't care that he's six three and two hundred and thirty pounds when he fills out like I think he's going to require that to play in the NHL. He's going to have to improve certain areas of his playmaking because you can't be just that one dimensional. Yes. The chaos is an advantage and yes, that size would be advantage at the NHL, but coaches will limit you because they can only put you out in certain situations. So then if you're projecting that forward, where do you take him in terms of, yes, there's a, he's a specific skill set for a specific line with specific line mates. That's what I like. And these these are the danger players that you and I talk about is not taking the, it doesn't mean you don't take these players. Just be careful where you do take them in that respect. So I'm interested to see where he goes in the draft and we'll continue to talk about him as we prepare for our draft shows as well. Let's talk about um, Emil Yaravante. I want to get your thoughts on him as well in terms of his overall game this year. Um, in I in Eve system, you know, he got a little bit of time up in Liga, but most of it was back in in U twenties, which I prefer those guys to play there. Um, you know, playing in in Liga, yeah, that's a tough. That's tough for young kids to play in, especially if you're not that big. So thoughts overall on on your your Vente.
2: Well, he's very different than the last Harventi uh, that was drafted. That's for sure. Ro, yeah, Roby, yeah. I can't remember. Is that his brother? I can't remember if they're actually related or not.
1: Uh, um, but yes, they are. That is his oh, okay. So
2: yeah. that's pretty funny because they are opposite on the ice in terms of play styles. Uh, yeah, the Roby Roby Arventi was a more of an enigmatic rushing sniper with uh, size. Yeah, and then you know, Arventi is a much more consistent spark plug energy winger who is tiny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're like Matt and very Jeff, very man, different. complete opposites. It's great. Yeah, totally opposite brothers. Um, yeah, he, he, email. So the first thing I'll say is this is a very weak class for Finland. This is a really, really weak class. Uh, Herventi, I would say, is leading the pack uh, in terms of that second-tier range of prospects out of Finland that, that have a chance to play. Um, you know, the, the big thing with him is that he actually brings the energy that's required to hold in the top nine capacity long-term. That's what you want to see, that all-of-a-more style of energy. Right. Now, he's not as physical as Moore. He's not as big as Moore, but he at least brings that surge and you yeah. need that surge. That's that's incredibly important. You know, one thing I talk about a lot on here, but I really still think it's just not talked about enough is the value of a player that can shift the momentum just through the amount of energy that they bring. Like it's that's hockey. That's what hockey is. It's a flow game uh, that's predicated off of momentum. And there's a, so many shifts and so many ebbs and flows within that momentum. If you can get spark plug styles of players that can help shift that momentum just through their inherent play style, it really helps. Tyler Mott, that does. Is what Tyler Mott
1: do? does that, you know. Exactly,
2: um, Tyler Mott, yes. You know, and you Adam can do Support it in different ways, right?
1: right? But you could do it in a way where you're banging and crashing, but you could do it in a way in terms of you're being, you're a bit of a pass, and you have offensive instincts and you have offensive upside, and you're just basically dogging the puck the
2: whole time. trying Actually, just to, trying just to cross flat court. out. Yeah, flat out on a loose puck race against a bigger player that he knows might overpower him, but he doesn't care. Those are the types of things that he brings to the to the table that can help, you know, get his bench lifted if they're if they're down a couple goals, right? Um, th- there is offense, and he is an intelligent player. The question I have is: is there enough offense to to look at him as as a potential third line forward? Is he a fourth-line replacement-level player, or is there just enough there? Right. Right. Um, I I don't know know either. I don't know. I don't know. Um, I I admittedly also haven't seen this player nearly as much as most of the other players I've mentioned on this uh, this podcast today. Um, So he's one that I will be honing in on at this event specifically to really see – Okay, I, I've seen him a couple times in twenty. Sorry, I've seen him internationally a couple times. Let's see, let's see what he really brings here. Maybe there's more than I thought. I did it with Otto Stenberg a couple of weeks ago. And I just got back, uh, from from Sweden, and, and I must say I had Stenberg wrong. Stenberg's better than I thought he was. You know, I I, I thought then I thought he was been a little too much too much hype based off of last year, but uh, he showed really well, much better than I expected. He went from I remember I, I didn't bring it up on this podcast, but on another I was talking about how I thought Otto, um might not have enough to really be a third line, third liner in the NHL. I, I, I'm wrong. i wrong. I'm absolutely wrong. The question now is, am I wrong about Harventi? Is there actually much more than I thought? And can he bring it out the u 18 to show it?
1: That's a really good question. And it's really a matter of, you know, to play on a third line, if you're going to be smaller, you're going to bring energy, you're going to need to produce offense. And you may have to be based on the line, age, you may be the playmaker. So, can he be the playmaker on the wall, on a third line that brings energy, right? That can dog pucks and dog pucks and then create time and space and, and, and maintain puck possession. Not sure. I don't know yet. That's really fascinating discussion to continue. But Brad and I are going to take a short break. We'll be back right after these messages.
3: Every play, every stat, every breakdown... On their own, they're essential, but altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash HPR to learn
4: more.
0: Welcome back to Hockey Prospect Radio. Here's Shane Malloy and Brad Allen. We're back and powered by Junior
1: Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream. Four student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. This is our U18 World Championship preview show. We'll do a couple more shows on the subject matter after this, but give you give the listeners a couple players to watch throughout the tournament. Right off the hop, And let's talk about Edward Shala. Now, interesting, you and I have chatted about him for over a year and a half. Uh, we talked about him last year. We talked to him, obviously, beginning of the season and going through. And your thoughts, and I know you were had concerns about his inconsistency and aspects of his game that drove you bananas. Um, you know, I think a lot, large part of that, you know, <laughs> can stem from the U-20s and the World Junior Championships and, you know, getting a chance to watch that up close and personal. You know, and you and I talked about that during that time frame. As you take a look at from the start of his season, through all the international tournaments to now at the U18s at the end, thoughts on what you've seen so far and what your, I guess necessarily your expectations, but what you want to see at the U18s for Sh- uh, for Shala.
2: Yeah, you know, for a hockey prospect, I, I feel like, we're almost all in agreement that he's lived up to nowhere near the expectation that we expected coming into the season. Um, that I had said, a question
1: about that first though. Now expectations <laughs> is like, is it the player not meeting expectations or were the expectations wrong? Cause that's a, thought, that's a I question you mean, always have to ask yourself. You got to kind of go back and look yeah, at yeah. yourself. Cause sometimes in this situation or when we're evaluating players, sometimes you're the problem. It's not the player like initially, maybe what you expected from him and what you projected that in that draft minus one wasn't accurate. And it was based on some misinformation or not calibrating what that expectation is. You carry it forward into the year and then he doesn't meet it. And you're like, okay, it's the player's fault. Sometimes that's not, I'm not saying that's not in the circumstance, but it's just, it's a topic of conversation I always like to have with other people and most importantly with myself.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, you're right. You, as scouts, you try to you try to remember that um, expectations <laughs> were human, so we have them, but you have to really uh, monitor them and know what they mean. Um, in my case, I'm a little fortunate with Shala, where uh, I wasn't nearly as high on him, even when he was torching uh, uh, the Checha junior circuit. Um, so for me coming in, it wasn't like, for instance, I'll give you an example of this, where, where it did make a difference, Lucas Raymond, where I thought Raymond was going to be most likely a top two, three player on my ranking going into the season. And then I was left wondering if he even makes the top five, right? And, that, and that, that's different though than this circumstance, because I really thought Raymond had the potential to be that type of player. Uh, I have not seen that ever from Edward Child. So it's very different in terms of the gauge of expectation and what it means. Um, the other factor, I bring up Lucas Raymond for a reason. I felt Lucas Raymond should have been the El instead of the SHL. I think he was in the wrong league. Right. I think it really hindered his his draft year, personally. Um, I mean, that said, I mean, it's it's kind of ironic I say it hinders it. Well he went top four and look what he's doing. So right, exactly. um it, it, right so uh now in Shallow's case, it's a bit different though, because Shallow's not as dynamic as as Raymond. He's not, he's not the natural dual threat Raymond is, he's not projected to be where Lucas Raymond is. However, I think he's stuck in the sense that he can't be in Cechia 2. It's not a good enough league for him for developing right now. But he's also not where he needs to be physically. And what I mean by that is not just holding in terms of having the static strength, not just holding in terms of having the power. What I mean by that is having the fluidity and coordination. This is a player who, to me, is a bit reminiscent of Anton Lundell, where there was still more room from a coordination perspective. For him to catch up into his frame, um, so Shindler like Junior. This, should he well, to that's junior the thing. He's too He's too good. Oh, in North America, yeah, that could have been a route. Yeah, if yeah. he came Junior North America, that could have been a route. Uh, one thing we try to do is okay. He's stuck in a league that he's he he can't really function in. So, what theoretically would he put up if he was a Londonite? Right, that's kind of how we look at it. Right. right, and and what I'm what I'm finding though with this player is that over the course of the entire season, I had like a list of like 12 different areas of offense I thought he was struggling in. and I want to see some sort of marked improvements in those areas by the end of the season. So far up to the Five Nations, he has improved in exactly none of them. That is incredibly concerning for me. The other concerning factor is much like Will Smith, sometimes this player is way too reliant on a power play. And that's because he can be a brilliant playmaker who is excellent at off-looking uh, Off licking his first option and finding a lateral high danger option through the circles. That is basically what this player is. Okay, net front, he can curl passes, he can go from low to high, and then he's excellent at finding lateral options from circle to circle. If you take those skill sets away from him, what is there consistently? consistently? And the answer is absolutely nothing. Nothing. And I will debate that with anybody. I've watched him a lot. seen him a lot. I know what I'm looking for, I think, when it comes to this type of player. But the, the, the truth is, like, I, I'd still like him. I know this sounds like a damning report, but it's, as you said, it's relative to expectation. What was my expectation? Well, I think of him as a middle six forward still. A lot of people disagree with me on that, but I think he's a middle six forward. Uh, I think there's still enough pa- playmaking upside. I still think there's enough structure to him. I still think that his catcher release can be uh, another tier level of functionality where he can take advantage of his ability to get into soft dice and time his soft dice evaluations correctly so he can, he can make something of himself there. Um, but in terms of his 200-foot game, in terms of his pace of play, in terms of his competitive compete level, in terms of his even strength, game impact, even at junior, even at the junior level at internationally this season, I thought he has been downright abysmal in most viewings. So for me, not for most people, but for me and for our staff, I know Jerome Baruch and Mark Edwards and the same boat I am on this player, is that we really want to see a coming out, Bar. We need to see him dominate. I have never seen this player this year dominate a single junior game of hockey. Maybe my expectations again. Maybe their fault. Some people thought he played really well at the U-20s. I did not. So maybe maybe it's on me, right? But that happens. There's a beauty of scouting. Some people look for different things, right? So um I need to see a whole lot from Everish this event. Watch him have the best uh, tournament die there, but he get named MVP to make me look bad. But, but yeah. that's where I'm at
1: with. Him. Well, we got four minutes in this segment. So let's quickly talk about Michael Harable. Uh we've talked about a lot before and we will again, so we'll catch up. Uh just thoughts on what this this means to him in this tournament?
2: Oh, this is a huge tournament for, for Robo. but both of the big checks here, this is a huge event for them. Like Robble, so Robble, Robble, came in the season with a tremendous amount of upside. Um, one thing that's interesting about him, I mentioned Zach for earlier and how sometimes when you're on an elite team, it can hide your deficiencies. Well, he was in Sparta Praha's system when Sparta was dominant in check junior last season. So he, he was not dealing with a lot of high danger situations. Now you throw him in the USHL, well, now he's dealing with a lot more high-danger situations, and it's starting to show more technical deficiencies than I thought was there, and I already thought he was very raw. Yeah. I already thought he was very raw. That said, I actually have liked his rate of development in some areas. He has shown significant uh, rate of growth in certain areas of the game. So his curve his curve is it's not streamlined. It's a little bumpy, but there, there are certain aspects of him that I feel like he's improved um, considerably. There's still a long way for him to go. Uh, I think this term is very important for him because he did fall off the map in the second half relative to the first map, uh, first half. He's been inconsistent, right? I think it would be maybe the best way to put his game. Let's see if he can gra- grab some of that consistency back at this event. I think go a long way, but in terms of upside, I mean, you're looking at a potential Jakob Markstrom type of prospect long-term.
1: Yeah. Like, there's a whole and lot You're not the only there. person who's mentioned his name in that respect.
2: Mm. So you know. there you go. So yeah, Mar- Mar- the, the two very tall goalies this draft that really matter are Michael Hrabel and Damian Clark. Yeah. Those are the two that have tremendous upside. It's just all about the, the development and what can be drawn out of them. But uh, this, this event really does matter for Hrabel. I'm very excited to see him uh, uh, live at this event. Uh, I haven't had an opportunity to see him live before, so I'm very excited about that. But uh, yeah, it, you know, it's just all about the rate of consistency with the kid. It has, as you know, the goalie position, extremely volatile. Uh, margin for error is is the lowest out of any position in hockey, and it just it when you have a developing. Developing goalie who's just growing into an enormous frame, it's just more likely he's gonna let in softer goals goals at a higher rate than it would be for theoretically a smaller goalie. So let's let's see how he holds. But yeah, this this tournament for me, Edward Challa and Harabel really, really matters.
1: Well, I mean, when you look at Harabel from that standpoint, you know, he was on a team in the USHL that was not good at all. Um, you know, and that's a challenge in itself. So he's all always under fire there was no chance for him to like have any mental break. So I just wonder how much that affected him in, in terms of that respect. And then he's also another player. When we talk about that developmental time frame. what are you looking at for him when you draft him? Is he going to be four or five years? What was at least five? Years. What, what was Markstrom? he was over 5 years. Marshall
2: was seven, seven, eight. <laughs> 7, right?
1: Like so you're looking yes, at 25 yeah. before things really That's started exactly to right. to come through. So that may okay. be a situation for Harabal, depending on which team drafts him of course and then where he plays up until he starts to turn pro. Right? Those these next couple of years, 2 3 years are going to matter. I think he'd be better off playing, you know, 3 years before he ter- goes to the American Hockey League and then comes in. Um I think that would benefit him greatly because I think that would actually give him one less year in the American league if that, and then, you know, three years there, two years in the American league, and then see what you have and go from there. So really intrigued by him as a goaltender, massive package. So I'm going yeah, to be curious to see where he gets drafted and what happens in this tournament. Brad, I'm going to take a short break. Uh, stay tuned. Last segment up right after this.
3: Every play, every stat, every breakdown, On their own, they're essential, but altogether, they're undeniable. Introducing Huddle Instat, a new advanced data platform that integrates with sports code and every Huddle product you rely on to create an all-in-one data powerhouse. Huddle Instat's advanced tagging and next-level stat reports help you develop your team, and its global film library helps you find the missing piece to get the most out of every second of film. Visit huddle.com backslash hpr
4: to learn more.
5: Oh, lady, baby, I
0: can't Prospect News and Analysis. This is Hockey Prospect Radio with Shane Malloy and Brad Allen.
1: We are back and powered by Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student athletes looking to take their game and studies to the next level. It's our last segment of our U18 World Junior Championship preview show. Just giving the listeners some players to watch in the beginning of the tournament and next week we'll continue the coverage as well. Lastly, let's talk about Slovakia. Right off the top, let's talk about Dalvor Dvorsky in terms of his overall talent. He was a player that really jumped out to me prior to the U18s and the U20s and then at the U20s. It solidified what I had seen previously coming into that tournament. Um, Thoughts on him as he's progressed from the beginning of this season and then through the U twenties and now into the U 18s. Well,
2: at the beginning of the year, he, he had difficulty with the power. The first three steps in his acceleration wasn't there. Uh, Reminded me a lot of Alexander Paravalov at the Mm. same, same. uh, Interesting time frame uh, in his uh, draft season where mechanically not terrible, but just a, a total lack of peak power output as a result of just not having much in the way fast switch. Right. Yeah. Um, that really mattered because a lot of people, including myself, really was like, Oh, is he projected to be a center? You know, and if that's the case, well he's going to have to really start rounding out his skating base. Yeah. Um, which, which I, I bring up because that's, that's what he's done. You, you look at him towards the middle portion of the year, especially the, the later portion of Svensken, uh, I feel like he's starting to keep up with the pace of play at a much better level. One of the reasons just naturally becoming a more powerful kid. Um, the other is that he, he had tendencies to be um, a bit hit and miss with his overall uh, energy levels and just how willing he was to be competitive um That is no longer an issue. <laughs> the kid, the kid can play. He he really does bring it. I've seen him torpedo himself into the, in the players. He's I've seen him really tr- just totally gas out on trying to get uh, try to recover for his uh, his defenseman during positional switches, trying to get back to the neutral zone. Um, I've seen a whole lot that I like from that aspect. Uh, if there's one glaring issue with this prospect. It is that despite being one of the true triple threats of this draft, meaning you look at his playmaking, you look at his shooting ability, you look at his handling, it is all top 10 right, right through. The the technical aspects of it is exceptional. There's a whole lot to like. Uh, the problem is, is that he, he has not developed a secondary ancillary skill set that can complement that triple threat aspect, meaning he's too reliant on shot quality, he's too reliant on generalized play uh, where he theoretically could be a lot more dynamic than sometimes he is. Uh, it's also dissimilar to Ryan Leonard's thought process. It's, Ryan Leonard sometimes just plays the, um, a vanilla style of game. It works. It's extremely effective, and you want it in certain situations. But when you have a talent as talented as Dvorsky, that's when you really want to see him drive up that dynamism. But it's not really there. Uh, that said, mm. he's also been in El the whole
1: that, season. That's what I was going to bring up. All that's my season. see that's my my I'm not it's nothing against the club system has nothing to do with that. It's really about the environment he's in in terms of the style of play in those leagues and the size of the ice surface. Would things be different? Would those habits that you're talking about would be would they be accelerated in his development if he's playing? in a different ice surface, in a different league. What if he was playing in the USHL?
2: Well, it'd be a 40-goal scorer. Right. <laughs> it's in the USHL, a 40-goal scorer. So, right. it, Which it, is, this, a, this is hardly hard to score in. Oh, yeah. No, it's, those are good good numbers. The, the, the thing is, when you look at Dvorsky, unfortunately, what we have to draw on is when he goes down to J-20, when he goes down to J-18. Yeah. There's the problem. When a player is played up, for the majority of the season, they tend to have a dip the second they get sent down to the to a level they don't they don't think that they should be playing in. You see? So yeah. like for instance, I I was reading about Alex Ciernik and his draft season. One of the things he said he had a lot of difficulty was was the emotional consistency because he didn't know which league he was playing in each week. Yeah. You know, we, we've had I remember Ross Mahoney coming on here he was joking one thing about Sweden that's very difficult is sometimes you think you're gonna watch a player and then two hours later they're called out. They come yeah. out of that game because they have to move up, right? Because, the, because each rink is so close and, and in proximity to each other. Yeah, and you just run uh, over so to the next rink. <laughs> exactly, right? So you lose the player you're trying to watch. But think about that from a mental perspective for the player, yeah. right? So that's, I remember, you know, Sherneck was bringing that up. The, the thing with Dvorsky, it's, it reminds me of a little bit of, uh, I shouldn't say Lucas Raymond again, but I was going to in the sense that when Lucas Raymond came down the J20, he turned into a playground. Dvorsky hasn't done that but he's yeah. been nowhere near as dialed in as he was when he was playing at El- My point is of saying all this is that the U18 Worlds really matters because you want to see him in his age bracket in situations where things are on the line. So you get the version that's been dominant at times in Osvenskine and then see how that translates in his peer in his own uh, age group. So uh, I'm a huge fan of Dvorsky personally, um, but I don't think he's had the year that I expected and that a lot of our staff expected, but that doesn't mean that when you look at his long-term projection, there isn't a whole lot to like. One one area, too, I look forward to seeing him live is with his edge work. He's had a lot of difficulty using his edge work correctly so he can spin off pressure and try to make direct cuts to the net. There, there, the, there should be theoretically a power element to this player that has not been embedded in his game yet. Wouldn't mind seeing a bit of that at this event. If he's going to do it, this event, it would be a good one to do it. at. So we'll see, but the tr- tremendous amount of potential, this is a player with a tremendous amount of
1: upside. we got three and a half minutes. Uh, let's chat, chat about uh, Maxim Sturback as well. Captain for this team, six, two, you know, almost 200 pounds. Um, thoughts about his season with uh, Sioux Falls Stampede, you know, played at the U twenties. Now the captain of this team, what are your thoughts on his season? But then what do you expect from him as the captain of this
2: squad? Well, he's I, the first thing I'll say is that he blew me away at the U twenties. Out of any player from where I'd seen him in the USHL or junior at their junior like league, from like from the, the beginning 20s. of
1: the season, yeah,
2: yeah. where he was at the beginning to where I last saw him before I saw him at the U twenties, I could not believe his his progression. I he was so much better uh, than I expected, um, and that's that's what I I want to see at this U 18s Can he? Can he? Was the U twenties a one off? Was U twenties his peak performances and those dips uh, more than 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 we would think? That's the question. I want to see if he can bring what he brought to the U-20s again. If he can do that, then it's then it's really interesting. For me in the USHL, I have found him very inconsistent, but I'll also bring up, I will always tell you the truth uh, to, to all the listeners listening about how many games I see of each player. Um, I have not gotten an opportunity to see him in the USHL as often as I have with a lot of these other prospects. So I'm relying more on his international resume. And, and so for me, I'm going to have to weight this U-18s more heavily than admittedly I would like to. Um, but, but again, the U-20s, I could not believe how good he was at that event, considering the minutes he played, considering the responsibilities he had, considering his age, considering the players going up against.
1: Yeah, and give him credit because, you know, he, not only did I notice the same things you did at the U-20s, now he's in the U-18s as the team captain. And don't think for a minute that that doesn't weigh heavily on him as well. Like sometimes we forget, you know, 18 year old kid, he's the captain of his national team. And don't say it doesn't like U18s doesn't matter because it matters to these kids. So they feel that they feel that additional pressure. And how does he handle not only his individual play, but then the play around him and then what happens off the ice as well from that standpoint? That's an interesting factor. So, I mean,
2: yeah, absolutely.
1: You know, and then that's where sort of look at that's why I really like for the US, the guys that are in the USHL and the program is to go and see, you know, the initial tournament right at the beginning of the season. I think it's really valuable just to get a kind of a, a frame of what that player is at that time. And then you can sort of jump off from there and go every you know every month you sort of like check in with that player and that specific events. But I agree. I thought and and we've talked about this before. Defensemen tend to charge late in draft classes unless you're really elite. They tend to once they get to about Christmas time they tend to like right after Christmas they hard charge. But he did it at the U eight U twenties. So then, does that change your expectations of what he's going to do down the stretch? in that respect, I'm not entirely sure what that is in your f- mind frame. Uh, but for me, it's just like, it's like, Oh, you're capable of this. Okay. How does that change when you go back? Right. With your squad. And then what do you asked to, what were you asked to do with the U twenties versus what you were asked to do with like with Sioux falls in the USHL. Right. And those two dynamics as well. So always oh, interesting. So, uh, this has been another episode of Hockey Prospect Radio on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio, powered by Instat Hockey, offering the largest data and video library of players, teams, and leagues worldwide, and Junior Prospect Hockey League, Western Canada's newest developmental stream for student-athletes looking to take their game and studies to another level. Uh, if you missed this program, don't worry. You can listen to it again on your favorite pro- podcast network or on the xm app as well or a youtube channel follow us at twitter on hp radio and at hockey so uh thank you to brad always safe travels at the uh, u18s and out in europe have a great time
2: and for the rest of you we will see you at the rink